Shut up and sit down. November and all that stuff. So I'm going to answer the few questions that came up on the page, and then um, I'll flip back to the chat room. And if you're in the chat room and you have questions, um, feel free to ask them then. Our theme for Rough Trade is time travel. It's not anything more complicated than that. It really isn't. Okay. My first question, what exactly is the meaning of time travel? To the past, to the future, or whatever goes, can we bounce around the universe in a TARDIS? You can literally do anything as long as it involves time travel. I have put no conditions on the theme. There there are no conditions on the theme. It can be a TARDIS, it can be a solar flare, you can do it with the Stargate, you can do it with a time turner, you can do it with a extremely dark sacrifice ritual. I don't care. It can be done by God, it can be done by a guardian angel, it can be soul regression. You don't even have to explain it. One day your adult character can wake up in their teenage body for all I care. It doesn't have to be explained. It just has to be time travel. They can go to the future. They can go to the past. They can go to a different dimension and go to the past or go to the future. But dimensional travel itself is not time travel. So there has to be a backwards or a forward motion in time for it to be qualified as time travel. And I don't care if they got the DeLorean. I really don't. It just has to be time travel. Um whether you use a trope that's already established or you make your own, I literally have no fucks to give on that particular subject beyond the fact that you participate in our theme, which is time travel. Okay. Uh, Desert Poet asks, can we write two standalone, unrelated stories in the same fandom? If you do the 225Ks, yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't care. The reason I did 225Ks is because a lot of people are going to have a very difficult time writing from a single character's point of view. And asking somebody out of the gate to write 50K in a single character point of view um, is daunting. So I opened it up to give you a chance to do 225K stories instead. That way you still meet the National Novel Writing Month word count requirement, which is 50K, but you aren't stuck with the same character for 50K if you find it very difficult to do, and some people do. Can you write two related stories? For example, can you write first story from one point of view and then continue the story to part two in a different point of view? Actually, I think this um, kind of... No. No, you can't. Because 
it's a violation of um, the challenge. It's a it's a cheat for the challenge. So if you're going to write two twenty five Ks, they have to be unrelated. Period. Because otherwise, you're just cheating on the challenge itself. Um, Quicksilver asks, when you say a single character's point of view, do you? we don't have to write from a first-person point of view, do we? No, you do not. A single character means you have one character's point of view throughout your entire story, or two stories if you do the 225K. You can do this in first person, or you can do this in third person limited. You cannot do this in third person omniscient. Don't don't even think about it, because that does not qualify as a single character point of view. First person, God help me, second person, or third person limited. Those are your choices. Uh, AMT asks, if you have a prologue or an epilogue written in third person limited, can they be from another character's point of view? No. That would be a violation of the challenge. Uh, no. Okay. Those are the questions that were on the page, and... Um, I answered them first. That way, if your question was on the page and you took the time to ask me before, you would get your answer first thing in the radio show if you didn't want to listen to the rest of it. Okay. Um, I think that uh, people are kind of fixating a little on the time travel element of, of it. Cause I've gotten this question a fuck ton of times. I, I've gotten it a lot. Stop stressing about it. You can sl- you can literally slingshot around the sun for all I, I fucking care. Just as long as your character moves from one point of time in a, to another, and I don't mean by growing old. Okay? That's, that's basically what it is. Whether the doctor takes them, or they slingshot around the sun, or they go through the Stargate and get things, things get fucked up. Is a fuck ton more or less than an ass load? A fuck ton is twice as much as an ass load. Like, two ass loads is a fuck ton. Just so that you'll know. We, uh... <clears throat> I don't even know how many years we've been doing this. I'm going to look at my thing because this is, um... Something that had not even crossed my mind is just this very moment. Um, looking on my database. Our first rough trade was in 2011. So, and that was in November. In fact, I did them in November in 2011 and 2012. And it wasn't until 2013 till we started doing multiple uh, challenges. So, uh We've been doing this for quite a while, and I I hope that um, everybody is... um... All right, so a metric fuck ton is a real problem. It's like uh, two ass loads and a... I don't even know. It's, it's, It's bad. A metric fuck ton is really bad. Um, when it comes to, I I think that you, this challenge, National Novel Writing Month, does have a specific word count, and that is 50K. That is your minimum, not your maximum. There is no maximum word count for um, November. That is your minimum word count, 50,000 words. 
so you can do that, like I said before, in 150 or 225s. Um, it this is challenge. This challenge is designed to be a learning experience, and I'm also teaching you a craft skill, uh, or I'm encouraging you to explore a craft skill, and that is um, mastering point of view, and limiting yourself, and learning t the economics of point of view and word structure, and your scene structure and your chapter structure. It's you need to treat it like. What it is. I mean, that's the challenge part. The time travel isn't the challenge part. That's just our theme. Don't get bogged down in it. Focus more on your character point of view, who you're going to use. And remember when you're plotting, if you haven't already plotted, that if you are a plotter, if you're not a plotter, then I have no advice for you because I don't even know what. I don't even know. Panthers freak me out a fuck ton. Panthers freak me out a metric fuck ton. There we go. Um, <clears throat> you need to pick a character central to your story to whom you can base the entire story off of. And it's, sometimes it's really easy to do with main characters, especially if you're working in fandom. Um, John Shepard would be an easy one to accomplish. Of course, Harry Potter... I don't know what your question means in the chat room. Kersher? Kesher? Uh, uh, Kesher? I'm, I'm going to go with that. Uh, sorry if I'm fucking that up, because why can't you all be Joe? <laughs> Jilly's going to be Joe. <laughs> your name's fucking easy to say. Yours is not a mystery. I don't know why you... K-sure, K-sure, K-sure. Like, K is a K... Is the K hard? Like, or is it K-sure? K-sure, K-sure. Um, your question... Uh, POV stands for point of view. There are several types of point of view... Among them, first person, second person, third person limited, third person omniscient. There's also another one that I don't remember. Is it, the, the, there's, some, there's another version of third person that I can't really remember what the... But no one uses that for anything. Third person objective, um, which is a neutral point of view. And, Jilly, where are you, Jilly? I got you both confused. We had a big radio show about point of view. Um, point of view is the character, is the method by which your story is delivered. There you are. Hi there. <laughs> the God perspective is third person omniscient. Right. Third person objective is... Um it's almost a it's almost an artifact of the past. It was used a lot for mystery novels where the audience knew no more than the narrator. Mhm. Mm so you were withholding all so you knew nothing that was not observable. So it was a completely objective point of view. So you knew 
nothing in anybody's head. So it was great for, well, supposedly great for mystery and suspense, but it actually was just had no depth, in my opinion. It well, considered it it's all the emotion, right? Yeah. It's considered um, actually a subset of um, the God POV, but it's not really, in my opinion, a God POV if God doesn't know anything. So. Right. I agree. I agree. I, I don't think that if you don't know how everybody's feeling about these events, then you're not existing in a God point of view. So I agree that it's that it that it, that it should be treated as separate. And the God POV, for those, this is a quick recap for those who, who don't remember this, the, the omniscient point of view is not like, the difference between it and head hopping is imagine that there is a person telling the story between you and the characters. It's that perspective. It is not all the characters. It's the perspective of the person between the reader and the characters. The way I've always yeah, the way God. I've always explained um, the third person omniscient narrator is if you have a storyteller in your family, it, storytellers and tend to tell their stories from third person omniscient. They know how everybody feels. They know how everybody reacted, and and they're telling you their interpretation of the story. So a, so a storyteller, someone who sits down and tells you a story, the narrator in our town has a third-person omniscient point of view. If you've never read or or seen the play Our Town, um, I highly recommend it. It's, it's great. It's really interesting um, craft work. So check it out. Uh, but it's... It's like you're looking down. The narrator is looking down at a story, and he is telling you what is happening from his perspective, his or her perspective. So you know everything the narrator sees and assumes about the characters, knows about the characters' actions. You know everything. And a lot of writers try to do this, and they're very unsuccessful at it. I don't recommend third-person omniscient. It's distracting to read, and it looks like bad craft because you look like you're head hopping. And most people are because they use language of head hopping. Like instead of saying John was tired, they say John felt tired and he thought that he would go to bed. That is John's point of view, not an objective narrator's point of view. Right. <clears throat> right. Sorry, I have the worst dry throat tonight. I guess the change in the season with all the stuff, crap. Welcome heat. fall. Fall. Fuck you, fall. <laughs> and fuck you, spring in advance, just to let you know. <laughs> if we have another spring like last spring, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, Keisha, does that make sense? Are, are we on the same page as far as... um? I think a lot of people are confusing um, what – I reworded the challenge because people were getting confused. So I thought if I just said you must write your story from a single character's point of view, that that would um, 
answer all those questions, but in the end, I, I ended up creating more questions because people are thinking that that single character point of view means first person when it doesn't. It can mean first or second, but you only get one character for your whole entire fucking story. One character. Wait. You can have many characters in your story, <laughs> but you can only tell your story from one character's point of view. And you may use first person or third person limited. You may not use third person omniscient. No. I hope that clears everything up. As Dark says, you're telling the story through one person's eye. Yeah, that's why I have the eye on the banner. <laughs> and why I called the challenge up close and personal. Because what I'm, I want to encourage you to do um, in this challenge is not only to, to experience the economics of a single character point of view, but to also explore deep POV. And so that you're your your characterization has to be deep. You just can't kind of skip on the surface because you're not going to have enough word count. You need to pay attention to what your your character is thinking and seeing. Um and feeling Does the big show have any good examples of stories showcasing different POVs? I think we discussed some of my um, stories. I've written um, two stories in first person, I believe. Uh, I Spy in the Stargate fandom is written in first person. Most of my story, most of my work is written in third person limited. Um, did I write a Sherlock Holmes story in third person? I mean, for first person, I have to go look. Isn't that terrible? When you're writing in a single character point of view, you you really do only have what they see, feel, and hear, and also what they assume, what their expectations um, build for them, their impressions, their bias, right? Their bias, their what they assume other people's motivations are. Uh, they see somebody who's angry. They and, and unless that person is telling them point blank why they're angry, any normal person is going to start thinking of things that um, why that other person is angry. Are they mad at me? Or are they mad at somebody else? You know what's going on with that. So keep that in mind. Does that make sense? Your website's being cunty to me. Really? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> cunty. I love that word, cunty. Um, okay, I did write It's All Fine in the Sherlock Holmes fandom um, in first person. Um, and it is a first person deep POV. It is a very deep point of view for um, Sherlock. In I Spy, your uh, it. It's not as deep. Um, it's it's actually a little shallow skimming of of, of McKay. 
you aren't getting um, everything from him. He's he's kind of stingy with his thoughts. He isn't sharing everything with the reader, and I did that on purpose because I think McKay is that way. He's kind of up front and in your face, but underneath what he's telling you, there are a thousand things he's not telling you that he thinks. Because he might say, I think you're stupid. This is the stupidest thing you've ever done. But he, on the in, deep inside, he is seething with fury because of your stupidity. <laughs> and so, in a lot of ways, McKay is like really layered, you know. So I was trying to kind of put that into the story for I Spy, and both of those stories are written in first person. I Spy and It's All Fine in the in the Sherlock. Um, fandom and they are different um variations on the first person theme the rest of my work um, home front in uh what might have been is written in first person but the vast majority of my uh fan fiction is written in third person limited Stream of consciousness. I see people do this stream of consciousness writing. Um, I won't tell you not to do it. I just won't read it. <laughs> well, you see that I think the most in um, first person present tense, and not that I want to open up the tense discussion. But it's easy when you're writing in present tense to say, I start to reach for the mug, I grab it and I bring it towards me, as opposed to I grab the mug. You know, because in first person present tense, everything has its immediacy. Because um, typically, if you were to write in past tense, I, you know, he started to reach for the mug, it would imply there's going to be an interrupt. Right. Because in past tense, if you start to do something, it's an implicit, you didn't succeed. Because in past tense, there would be no starting that wasn't stopped. But, um, yeah, so you typically see that kind of stream of consciousness stuff as people get so caught in the immediacy of present tense when they're writing in first person that it just kind of um, streams out that way. And present it, um, tense makes me nervous. It makes me um, feel a little too uh, close to the action, and depending upon what that action is, it can be very uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes I don't see the, the purpose of it. On the other hand, I read a story where I was really wrapped up in it, and I was like leaning forward in my chair, and I was like, you know, eyes wide, and I read the whole thing. And I get to the end, and it was only as I got to the end I realized I read a whole first-person present tense story and really enjoyed it. Um, but my, my whole body language was different from how I normally read, and I don't usually like being, you know, grabbed that way. I want to relax when I read, not trying to hug my monitor. Right. I think first-person present tense is um, really... Um, terrible i'm gonna be perfectly honest i 
I see no value whatsoever in present tense work. I, I rarely ever enjoy it as um, a reader. And I have a present tense writer in my um, writing group, and I hate reading her work. She has never once come close to a professional contract. Every single rejection letter she's got that wasn't a form letter um, stated that her present tense use was off-putting, and she still does it. She's got literally a hundred rejection letters over the past, I don't know, ten years that have told her to stop writing in present tense, and she still continues to do it. Now, she writes present tense in first person and third person, and it does not sell. So I don't recommend it. I don't um, talk about it in writing classes when I or seminars when I give them. Um, when someone asks me about them, I immediately shut them down. No, do not write in present tense if you want to ever be published professionally. It just don't, don't do it. It's it's this writer in my group has just got this. It's a terrible vanity. It's a terrible vanity. She's been told over and over and over again, you're, this, is, this doesn't work in first-person present. You need to write this in first-person past or, first per, or third-person past. Stop writing in present tense. Over and over and over again, editors and agents have told her to stop fucking writing in present tense, and she won't do it. And the worst part is, is that she's actually very talented, and she's got great stories that she tells but they're that's incredible hubris that experts would tell you this is what you need to do to succeed and you would just go eh I know better and keep doing it over Mm -hmm. and over and over again now I do. I've written obviously in first person, and I I actually tend to prefer third person. Um, I always write in past tense. Uh, I door Spike, uh, or in my head Isidore. That's what I've always called you, even though I know what your name actually says. It comes out Isidore in my head. Um, that's Zan. Is it? Hello, it's, Zan. it's not pronounced that way, but that's Xander. Who else adores Spike? <laughs> so I don't mind reading first person POV. But I can't stand present tense. Um, let's see, who's the one that said, oh, Dark says, I don't like to write like the you character ones. That's second person. First person is I and we. Second person is you. And third person is he, she, they. Write that down somewhere, people. I've experimented with um, all the tense combinations and all the POVs except second person because I think it's stupid and third person objective Um, and I like third person limited past tense that's what I like you know it's not that I haven't tried the other stuff I did but I that's what I that's what I like to write that's what I like to read Um, and 95% of the fiction market is written that that is published is written in third person past limited third person limited past tense so, if your goal is to eventually be published, um, and it doesn't have to be your goal. I don't, I mean, if you want it, I want it for you. But if you don't want it, that's perfectly okay, too. And don't let anybody ever tell you any different. Don't don't let somebody 
push you into publishing if you, if you don't want to do it because it's it's not for everyone. Um, but if you want to be published professionally, you need to set aside any writing quirks that you think make you unique like writing in first person present or writing in second person um because that shit doesn't sell <laughs> if you the want to want to be talked to huh what yeah, so the audience doesn't want to be talked to, and they don't want to be told when to be turned on or when to be scared. Come, or, bitch, don't tell me when yeah. to come. That you know, there's only one person who gets to tell me that, and that's my man. That's just <laughs> that's just all kinds of creepy when somebody says you reached your pinnacle. No, I really didn't because I'm so proud <laughs> by you talking yet. to me. I'm not there yet. <laughs> that happened too fast. <laughs> So, people expect third-person limited past tense when when they pick up a book. My mother refuses to read first-person. She has never read first-person and never will, not even if I write it. She told me once, I was telling her about an idea, and she says, and you better write that shit in third-person so I can read it. (laughs) And she was dead serious. Okay, Mom. Okay. Um, So, yeah, that's what people want to read. That's what editors buy. So if you want to be published, you need to um, bow to this norm. You can explore. You can push all kinds of boundaries with your writing. But this is not a boundary that you push. This is an established um, format that publishers and editors and readers expect to get. So um, while first-person work... Uh, has a place, and you see that, of course, with Twilight, because Twilight was written in first person, right? Yeah, I think so. And so so was Fifty Shades of Grey. Elizabeth Peters writes a really awesome series, the Amelia Amelia Peabody series, and it's written primarily from first person, um, and there's some letters included and some flashbacks, you know, in the later books. Um, But it's predominantly written in first person. So first person work itself has a market, but it has to be written in past tense. I have never in my life, and there might be one, but I have not read it, and I wouldn't actually, even even if I picked it up, have I ever seen a professionally published book by a New York house written in first person present tense? I have never seen it. Has it happened? Maybe. I don't know. But I have never personally seen it. And I doubt seriously it made the bestseller list. I could be wrong. Prove me wrong. Um, I'm really interested in knowing if I'm wrong about that particular thing. But first person... um, So the Hunger Games... Was the Hunger Games really written first person present tense? Because I just Googled it and that's the first hit. Really? Really? I've not read the Hunger Games. Can someone tell us if that's true? Somebody has to tell me if that's true because it's, uh, it says uh, on Goodreads it says first person present tense books by popularity and there's only 39 on the list um, and The Hunger Games is number one. Well, I won't be reading that book if that's true. <laughs> it 
it actually makes a lot of sense because it's the YA market, and um, it doesn't surprise me at all that 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 would be one of them. Beloved, I have never read Beloved, and I wanted to, and now I never will. Oh God, look at these terrible books. I'm not I'm not bashing the books. I just it's so off-putting that I that I'm really super surprised that that any of these books are were published in present tense. Has anybody ever actually read? Is has anybody in the chat room read Hunger Games? Can you confirm that? Because two people on good on um, Goodreads have labeled it or shelved it as first person present tense. I'm trying to get an excerpt from it on Amazon so I can confirm that. Dark says, yes, I have, and yes, it is, but honestly, I never noticed it. Shallon says, I've read all three. You can't remember them except the third one was really gory. I bet. Because <laughs> the third one is basically a war book, right? It's the war. The rebellion, yeah. the war. But it's just, it's not, I I super really do not recommend it. Yep, it is first person present tense. Oh, that is terrible. I've never read one. I have never read a, a I've the very first like, words you know, are when I wake up. That is exactly why that twat in my reading group, writing group, continues to write in present tense first person. But if if Goodreads has a shelf, a list of first person present tense books, and it there are 39. 39 of them... <laughs> That's not an indication. I stand of, by my statement. Don't write in present tense if you want to sell your books because you're not Suzanne Collins <laughs> or Terry Brown. I've never read that one either. I just, I'm really stunned by this. Super stunned. Scary. Yeah, that, that's been on my read list forever, but it just went off. Um, and I'm. It's probably it's probably lovely, but. Uh, okay, some of these books I just can't read good first reads person are actually self-published books. Not all of huh? them, but some some of these books on this list are self-published. Oh, are they? Not all of them, but some of them, yeah. Um, obviously, we can pick out Hunger Games and Catching Fire and um, Divergent as uh, pr- professionally published, but a lot of these um, are not. Uh, I think Beloved, unless that's the wrong Beloved. It looks like the wrong beloved because that looks like a yeah that's um 
Create Space. That's that's also self-published. Um, a lot of these books are self-published. South Shore Publications. Mm. So yeah, you could probably say the Hunger Games books and Divergent being the standout, and they're both YA. But the rest on this list. Must be a good market for. But I know there's another prominent YA author who writes has has written a lot of books. He writes third third person present tense. Um, So maybe present tense is a big deal in the YA market. I don't know, but a lot of these books are um, self-published, and I don't have a problem against self-publishing. I really told just a big lie just then. That was really a big lie. I can't believe I just told you that ginormous lie right here on my own podcast. Um, Tell us the truth. Let me be honest. I understand the desire to self-publish. But self-publishing can damage you if your book doesn't do well and you haven't gotten a really good uh, technical edit, um, it can damage your audience foundation. So by the time you realize you've made a mistake, you're too far gone. Uh, I think that publishing online is like one of the worst things to ever happen to um, the publishing industry because it's lowered the standard um, that readers expect to get in books that they buy because <laughs> I have a real problem with it. <laughs> Just, so, I understand the desire and I I I get it. I really do. Um but if you can't afford to pay someone to make you really good cover art and if you can't afford to pay somebody to give your book a thorough and thoughtful edit, and I don't mean your mom, um, then then self-publishing is a mistake. And it, I see it happen a lot. I And see, the thing is, is that not only will you get the bad reviews, oh, you know, it was full of grammar errors, because, you know, readers are terrible. I mean, I'm one. I don't make these kinds. But, you know, the thing is, is as bad as feedback can get in fandom, when you're self-publishing on Amazon, it's going to be three times worse. They'll tell you your plot sucks and your character sucks and your grammar was terrible and that cover looks stupid. And see, all these hits you're taking are are not going to help you. They're not going to make you feel better about your craft. It's not going to feel like an accomplishment. It's going to feel like another failure. And maybe you will be that one that hits like E.L. James. And every E.L. James, there are five million writers who don't. You know? and I don't mean this, and I, we've talked. I don't mean this in a bash way, but one of the biggest bitches about her story is the lack of editing. Oh yeah, so, I was 
still I was stunned. I was stunned to find out and this is this is a terrible arrogance. I assumed that the publisher just took her work and put it in print because they wanted to make money. And I was wrong. Her success on Amazon made her so arrogant, she told the publisher they couldn't edit her work. They had to agree oh. to publish her work as is. She also has like 100% control over the scripts in the movies. See that? You, you hear that silence on Jilly's end? She don't even know what to do herself. And I I'm, don't. Not bashing, I'm not bashing E.L. James. I'm, this, this, this is not me bashing her. This is um, me saying that um, I need to shut up. <laughs> That's just fact. That is fact. That is not um, me bashing her. I'm not. I don't have an opinion about it. That's just what happened. And I had actually blamed the publisher, and I felt bad for E.L. James because she hadn't got edited when she went to print. I felt bad for her. And then to come to find out, editing didn't happen because it wasn't allowed, which is fact, not bashing. See my line? I'm I'm, I'm walking here. <laughs> I'm trying to be a good citizen. <laughs> I had this horrible experience. Now your all transition is out of E.L. James, but I had this horrible experience. Amazon has this review program called Vine. I don't know if you know what it is. I do. Okay, so it's, maybe it's, they don't. I, so, so explain. Huh? Maybe so they Vine don't. Is a, so okay. you have to get you have to get invited to Vine. I don't know what their criteria is for inviting people to Vine. Maybe it's just you've spent so much freaking money. We want you to start reviewing your products, and you never do. I don't know how they pick it, but anyway, so I get an invite one day to do Vine, and they send you pop products periodically, and you sign up for which products you want, and you're supposed to review them. And my policy about book reviews is pretty much the same for fan fiction as it is for, you know, anything else, is if I don't like it, I just walk away from it. Because I don't want that author to read that I hated this, you know. Um, there's a couple of exceptions of where it's just been like, whoa, this really misrepresented what was going on with this book. Um, but anyway, and I wasn't thinking about the fact that I don't like to do negative book reviews <laughs> when I got a whole passel of books through Vine. And all of a sudden, I have to review books. And I, just, and I was like, "Do they send you Kindles oh, or um, physical copies?" They're physical books. Oh. And uh, I was like, "And I got there were some really bad books." <laughs> whoops. Yeah, whoops. And so I'm trying to think, how can I really nicely say, "Don't read this book." <laughs> so yeah. There's like the nicest reviews out there of, well, this book seems a little confused about what it's trying <laughs> to accomplish. About the Amazon top on Jilly's reviews. To <laughs> read between the lines. What she uh, meant to say, this sucked monkey balls. <laughs> <laughs> Never sign up to do book reviews. It's terrible. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a bad idea. It's a real bad idea. Um, do anybody else have any questions about Rough Trade? 
and what's happening this month and in November. Our delete date for um, the site clean off is the first of October, and we'll also start signups for November at that point. When you sign up, you must have a title and a fandom if you're writing in a fandom. I'm so fucking serious. I mean it. You know somebody's going to ask, so I'm just going to go ahead and ask the question, even though I know it's not necessary to ask this, and I know what the answer is going to be. Do you have to declare your POV when you sign up? No. And you see, if you'd have asked me that question yesterday, I would have said, yes, bitches, you have to do that at sign up. But yesterday, I was trying to plot my ass my way through my story. Let me tell you what Jillian and I have done to each other. And in no way are any of you. This is between me and her. They're... So don't get any ideas. We have challenged each other to write 100K in November. In one point of view. In one point of view. And we both know that we're capable of doing this. So this is our challenge. We're kind of challenging each other because the, frankly, if I may be frank, I was kind of looking at November as a vacation challenge because no part of it is particularly challenging to me. And I made the mistake of saying that in the mod chat, that it was basically going to be like a vacation for me because I did, there was no part of the challenge that I find challenging. <laughs> and so Jilly said, well... And then I said, she said she was going to write two nanos. And I said, well, why don't we, and see, this is my own fault. This is what I did. I said, why don't we just write, challenge each other to 100K November? And she said, yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Okay. So Jilly and I are doing 100K, all in one point of view, one story. Um, and I was trying to plot my story, and I was going to write it from Hermione's point of view. And I even made myself some art to inspire myself. I was, like, all in it, you know. And I'm on Chapter 3, and I realized that I absolutely cannot write this story from Hermione's point of view. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to redo my whole um, concept because I can't do it. I mean, I I can't even plot it. <laughs> So there's no way I'm going to be able to write it. So while I do require that you have your title and your fandom, if you're doing fandom or if you're doing original on your sign-up day, um, you don't have to declare your POV because I realize some of you are still plotting and you might come to the same realization that I came to after you sign up. So there you go. I'm very comfortable in Hermione's head. Um, I can write in Hermione's head very easily. My problem became that I'm more comfortable in Harry's point of view, and I have a hundred k to write. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Harry Potter is so central to the Harry Potter fandom that it's really difficult to conceive an idea um, in, in in Harry Potter without having Harry's point of view. I mean, it's just it's if unless Harry's dead. <laughs> I mean, it's just really difficult. And or teeny tiny. <laughs> or teeny tiny, unless he's a baby. Um, it's That's just, how I'm getting it's, around it. It's um, it's really difficult to conceive all these scenes, um, and Harry not be central to a single one of them. And so, um, yeah. So no, you don't have to declare your POV character when you when you sign up. But if you'd have asked me that yesterday, I'd have been like, "Hell yes, you do, bitches." <laughs> Make a decision. <laughs> See, experience. I learned from experience. I'm passing that experience on to you. <laughs> it isn't HP without HP. Well, <laughs> I'm doing it from Sirius's point of view, so. <laughs> I think that because Harry's a baby, that that works because you don't because you don't expect to have Harry's point of view. Yeah, he's um, not a baby for the whole thing, but I can't keep I can't keep him a baby for a hundred thousand words. I will bore myself, but um, the whole story is about Harry, but it's um, it's for Harry. It's uh, so he's still very central to it, but it's um, it's serious on a tear so but no one wants to read 100,000 words from the point of view of a three year old no (laughs) (laughs) it would involve a lot of food and bath time and naps (laughs) that's about you know a thousand words story done (laughs) and mine 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 my toy my blanket my stuff, all my stuff. So yeah, so Julie and I have challenged each other, um, 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 each other to 100k, and um, I wasn't boasting. I was um, expressing relief, actually, and then I did this to myself. I did because I just commented that I was like, oh well, I was thinking about signing up on through the National Novel Writing Month and doing a completely separate 50,000. Because I knew I would finish the fifty early in the month, and I wanted to write the whole month. And <laughs> yep. And here we are. And no here vacation we are. for you. And here we are. And so it goes. Um, I I am keeping my title though, and my title is Harry Potter and the Winter Witch. And um, so yeah. I hope you shorten that for you know. I'm- I'm just going to put Winter Witch on Rough, rough, rough Trade. So. Bitchin'. Yeah. <laughs> I, I envy you being able to go all the way to the bottom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that big-ass list. Yeah, we yeah we did kind of incept each other, So, um, but I blame her. I do. And I'm not sorry. That's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm part, totally fine with being a bad influence. <laughs> Well, I think it'd be very easy for me to go over 100k. Absolutely, um, but um, my goal is not to. Um, so that's the kind of 
um, I'm kidding. I'm restricting myself because I, I want to do a complete story in November. I I want to finish it and and have it be have, have it be complete and be. Um, but um, frankly, the only people who aren't in danger of dying in Harry Potter and the Winter Witch are Harry and Hermione, and maybe Minerva. <laughs> Everybody else is fair game. I just just put that up there. That's gonna be my warning. Everybody could die except for Harry and Hermione and probably Minerva. That's I'm just to be honest. Cuz I'm only on chapter 3, which I'm going to have to replot, but I've already killed two people. In <laughs> 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 prologue to chapter 3, I've killed two people already. So, you know, Rocks are going to fall. Shit's going to get caught on fire. You know, Harry just wants to watch the world burn, you know. And maybe Hedwig. Yeah, yeah Hedwig's probably safe because I can't stand it. She killed the owl. That, that, that just, it just really fucks me up. I, wait, come on. You don't kill puppies and owls. <laughs> well, she had, that, she had that really insane reason for why she did it. She said that it was because it was symbolic of the loss of Harry's childhood and that he had to have that moment to be to 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 no longer be a child to lose Hedwig because it was she was symbolic of it. And I was like, what childhood? <laughs> he didn't have a childhood. You there was a childhood. childhood. Okay. Uh, that was gone from the beginning. You didn't need that gesture. His childhood died in the cupboard. <laughs> what? <laughs> what the hell? Come on. No, I'll tell you why she really killed Hedwig. Because he couldn't take her on the camping trip from hell. And she was too recognizable, and she would have been um, a huge plot hole if she had survived. Because Hedwig would have kept looking for him if he left her. And would have could have theoretically led Death Eaters to Harry. So Hedwig was actually a giant plot hole. And J.K. killed her to get rid of it. I'm just saying. Well, Crookshanks wasn't capable of finding Hermione. He was stuck with Ginny. He he had no way, but Hedwig could fly away, and she was smart, and owls, and magical owls apparently could find magical people. So Hedwig was um, a plot hole, and she was also a uh, a threat to the safety of their mission. So, And I don't know why they couldn't just spell her to stay at Hogwarts, because then some Death Eater would have killed her. Okay, here's exactly what J.K. Rowling said. She said, The loss of Hedwig represented a loss of innocence and security. She had almost been like a cuddly toy to Harry at times. Voldemort killing her marked the end of childhood. Bullshit. Dragon (laughs) shit. That's dragon shit, Joanne. Speaking of which, um, there is a person who listens to my my show named Joanne, and she said once when I was talking about Harry Potter, and I said Joanne, just like that, that it scared the shit out of her. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was talking directly to her. So Joanne, I was not talking to you. So now I am, but I wasn't before. (laughs) It's not your fault Hedwig died. It's just dragon shit. It's what it is. It's dragon shit. 
anyways. Harry was never, never had innocence to lose once they tossed him in that cupboard. No. So, no. But then, you know, this is also the same woman who said that growing up in a cupboard wasn't abusive. I mean, she retracted that shit, but she said it. <laughs> she did say it. But she had to make him abuse kid to make her story work. Because kids that are secure and happy and are comfortable and feel like they can rely on adults don't get confronted with three-headed dogs and not tell their parents. Exactly. Which makes you wonder why Hermione didn't... Tell her parents. (laughs) Or why Ron didn't. If the Weasleys were apparently so fucking awesome, why didn't Ron write home and tell his mom that Dumbledore had a fucking three-headed dog on the third floor? Maybe he did. Yeah, because Molly Weasley's parent of the year. Yeah. <laughs> get me started. <laughs> just you know, can you see her? Just like make she stick with Harry, but make sure he stays in front. <laughs> you can say why Hermione kept it a secret. Why she didn't tell her parents about the troll or about the dogs it's because she didn't want to get taken out of Hogwarts and she was afraid her parents wouldn't understand and she would lose magic that makes sense because Hermione at that point literally considered her own death less traumatizing than being expelled from Hogwarts I mean, she, she, that's, that's right out of her mouth. That's what she thought. It was better to die than be expelled. Well, the, the story certainly, her reactions to stuff like that certainly opens up a lot of uh, room to interpret her relationship with her parents in a variety of ways. And the fact that she rarely ever spends the summer with them. Mm-hmm. After being away from them, the, and her parents don't seem to care knew how easy it was for her to memory charm them to Australia and really never bring it up again really (laughs) if I memory charmed my mom and shunted her off to Australia I would not be getting over that shit I'd be crying all night like I memory charmed my mom (laughs) obliviated my mommy (laughs) someone go get her (laughs) she doesn't know what she's doing I sent her out there to the land of enormous bugs. Please bring her back. Everything in Australia will try to kill her. <laughs> they just they never come up again. Does she even get them back after the war? When you obliviate a muggle, is it gone permanently? Was that a dress in the epilogue? Uh, no, they never come up again after she charms them. That's it? Because I, I rage quit the epilogue, so I never read it. <laughs> I don't see them being in the epilogue, I, but I only read it once, and I cut it out of my book and set it on fire, so I couldn't even look it up for you. She gets them back, Dark says. Is that on, like, Pottermore? J.K. said it later. Oh, so, so it wasn't in the book, but J.K. Rowling says she gets her parents back. Well, that's something, I guess. I guess I just 
Ah. It really seems it, there's a whole epilogue, and that didn't come up. Yeah, because shouldn't her parents have been there to see their kids off, their, their grandkids off to the train? I mean, they well, saw yeah, her I mean, off I, the train. I would think that would be a mention. It's sort of like, and Hermione went to Australia and found her parents. You know, if you're going to mention that she married Ron and all of this stuff, where were her parents and, you know, I just that literally, that? I, just, I just mimicked stabbing myself in the forehead just then when you said that, married Ron. Because I removed it from my head. <laughs> well, we have two opportunities at least in November to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> Boom. But yeah, I'm going to write a dark Harry, and I've been talking about it a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, it, it, it's going to be dark and people are going to die and Harry's going to kill people and he's not going to feel any remorse for it. He is a straight up sociopath from the, from the future who got fucked over one too many times. And, um, I've played with some variations of this idea, but I can't get it to kick off. So I'm hoping writing it during NaNo will give me a fresh perspective and, um, get me started. Does dark equal evil? Um. Uh, mm. Well, it depends on your implementation of it, but and it, it really, I mean, honestly, you, it depends on your definition of evil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not. I. I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're going to write, but I can't see Harry out like muggle baiting and. You know, no. using muggles for random sacrifices and stuff, which would be pretty evil. But you know, it seems like Harry on a on a vengeance spree is dark, but not. I don't know. Vengeful doesn't seem evil to me, but <laughs> I don't know because you can do some pretty fucked up things if you're if you have revenge on your mind. Well, true, but you know. Um, I will say that in the course of the story, Harry will do things that will make you uncomfortable. And that um, he's going to do it really fast so that he can blame 99% of his crimes on Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) That manipulative little shit. (laughs) Well, if you've got a Dark Lord handy. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, what's the fun of killing Umbridge if you can't cast a dark mark over her corpse? <laughs> you know we're all looking forward to her death the most, right? <laughs> And one of his resources is Voldemort. Scapegoat. And also, I think that um, I have this thing, and one of the reasons why I'm going to have to write this from Harry's point of view is because um, I had this idea when I was doing my thing that instead of Voldemort influencing Harry through the scar, that Harry influences Voldemort into killing people for him. Oh, nice. 
that he makes he makes Voldemort really fucking paranoid. But can <laughs> you imagine taking people you, out? Yeah. Can you imagine a vanity point of view, which you can't do because it's not a challenge, but in Voldemort's POV for like one scene where he's like having a major temper tantrum because who the hell is killing all of these people? It wasn't him. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> it just becomes a competition. Well, fuck you. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go kill them before that asshole beats me to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you who's the better Dark Lord, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a great deal of fun with it, and I'm not even ashamed. And it is going to be dark, and people are going to die. And um, I would say, I would say that no one you like is going to die, but that's not true. (laughs) Because a lot of you like Snape, and he's definitely biting it. And Umbridge is biting it, and I don't know anybody who likes her, so that's, that's good. Um, Most of us dislike Umbridge more than Voldemort, so... It's true. Um, That's because Voldemort is almost supernatural. His, his evil is supernatural in, in a way. It's it's difficult to imagine, even though you kind of see the Hitler in him, to imagine him in reality. But I think a great many of us have been exposed to or been the victim of that kind of bullying. And that's what Umbridge is. She's a mm-hmm. vicious, bigoted bully and it's something that people can really really relate to what was that Eddie Eddie Izzard talked about with murder about how we don't know how to deal with death on a large scale. And, like, you kill a person, they send you to jail, and you kill three per people, and they send you to Texas and hit you with a brick. And you kill 20 people, and they put you in hospital, and they stare at you through a window. And beyond that, we don't know how to deal with it. And, like, somebody who's killed 100,000 people were almost applauding and saying, well done. Um, and it's almost it's, – it's kind of like that a little bit because it's like it when it becomes – when something like Voldemort is so big – He's so he's such he's such a large scale in his his, his evilness that it, it becomes it's like you can't absorb it. You have to put your you have to put like a layer of abstraction between you and him, right? But like you're saying, we can really relate to that teacher that bullied you or that adult in your life that treated you horribly when you were a kid or who abused their position of power over you, and so we loathe that person with much more intensity. Than, than this abstract archetype that doesn't have any has never had any impact on us personally. Yeah, I wanted Umbridge to die, but I'd have been okay with Voldemort going to jail. Mhm. <laughs> mhm. So, Contiki asks, "Don't serial killers have a compulsion to kill? Is that the same thing as deciding someone needs to die and not be inhibited by it? Um, no, it's not the same thing. And serial killers do have a compulsion to kill. Um, there are several kinds of serial killers. There's sociopaths and psychopaths. Um, um, sociopaths are usually driven by a um, a need for control. Um, psychopaths. And sociopaths can also be um, uh, sexually motivated killers, 
uh, it's um, they derive. That's the only time they really derive sexual pleasure is from out, acting out their fantasy, which is the hallmark of a serial killer. Plus the the whole um, period of, of cooling off. A spree killer doesn't have a cooling off period. They kill, 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 kill until they're caught. A serial killer will kill, kill, a cooling down period, kill, 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 cooling down period. They'll have, they'll fantasize about, about their first kill sometimes for years, and then they do it, and it gives them this great high, and they jerk off to it for weeks, or whatever they do to it. What, Whatever motivates them, it's satisfied. But then when that satisfaction starts to fade, they have to do it again and again and again. And then they have that satisfaction and they have to, you know, when it bleeds off again, and it will. And some of them have control issues that go far beyond um, the actual killing. Like BTK uh, was very manipulative and he only got caught because he wanted to be famous. And some say he didn't stop killing, that he just changed his M.O., though he's never admitted that. So, you know, it's very interesting and terrible, and Jilly's right. We we do tend to put people like this in places where we can observe them and try to figure out why they're so fucked up. Because it defies comprehension. Am I going to write Harry as a serial killer? No. Because that would imply he derives some kind of mental or physical or emotional pleasure from killing. And mostly he's just really vengeful and pissed off and not apologetic. And any part of him that would have been apologetic is long gone. Um through actions done to him. So uh, there will be that. But it but it will be dark. <clears throat> I don't recommend it for everybody. But I will warn. I, I, I will have warnings on it. Um, I won't kill Harry or Hermione, and um, there won't be any rape, and that's about all I can guarantee. The uh, the for warnings instead of instead of warnings we'll do the this is the not warnings <laughs> there won't dark. be this everything mm. else suck it up <laughs> dark by satisfaction I meant getting off he's not gonna jerk off over a corpse okay that's what I'm promising you <laughs> ew <laughs> <laughs> well some of them do just well, some of them do yeah. Because, well, even in Unseekable Plot, um, Harry expresses um, um, some glee at the, the killing of, um, the, the execution of Snape. So, but it isn't that he didn't, it, it didn't make him hard. It's, it's, it's not a sexual sadism kind of thing. So, and that was the point that I was making. Yeah, and sitting there sniffing, you know, your trophy from your kill is not quite the same thing as being satisfied that someone who tormented you and hurt others is dead. Yeah, I mean, there's there's different levels of um, satisfaction and being pleased that someone's not going to be there to do the fucked up thing to you they did last time. 
No. I am perfectly capable of writing um, a Dexter-like character, but you need to keep in mind that Dexter was a sociopath and that Dexter derived pleasure from killing. Whether they started on the show or not, he found killing itself extremely satisfying, and he killed who he killed because he had been conditioned to do that. Otherwise, his victims could have been anybody. And and Dexter was a serial killer. And there is a difference. I think if um, I was going to label the Harry Potter that I'm going to write in the story, he would be a spree killer. (laughs) He he has a hit list. (laughs) Who has a window of opportunity. Voldemort's still alive. I've got my scapegoat. Yeah, he's a hit list and a window of opportunity. That is exactly what it is. So, but um, but yeah, I'm um, I'm perfectly capable of, of writing a serial killer, but that's not what I would call this particular version of of Harry. Um, I don't know that I could write um an antihero, um, an antihero like um what I intend to write, um. With a sexual component, <laughs> I just that would really fuck me up. I'm not sure I could write that. Um, now Dexter was not a sexual sadist. He didn't um, get sexually gratifi- um, gratification from from his kills, but he did feed his dark passenger with killing. And what you might call Dexter, what what you might attribute to Dexter is bloodlust. He um he, he he very much enjoyed the act of killing and the the dismemberment and the keeping of blood trophies and um the books are much 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 darker than the TV series if you can believe that. <laughs> so That's pretty damn dark. I haven't read the books. I read um, the books a long time ago. I, I read the first one and had nightmares for weeks. Because, I don't know if you know this, but Dexter's written in first person. Ugh. Yeah. No, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't, don't, don't want to run around in a, in a serial killer's head in first person. Yeah, no, thank it you. Is, it, is re- it is really intimate. And it is... Um, Whoa, you know, which is why I wrote um, "It's All Fine" in um, in first person because that's like my Dexter fusion. So there you go, and that's that. <laughs> well, it is what it is. First, it person, is yeah. Um, First person can create a um a a deep sense of connection with your character. And when you're writing someone really dark like Dexter, um it it can be really um it speaks to dark places in your reader's mind and it can make them very uncomfortable. Um it's a very good read. I don't actually recommend Dexter. Um, even though I just said it was a very good read. I don't recommend it because not everybody can handle that kind of stimulus. And it is, um, I, 
I read the first two books, and I, I, I never read anything else. Um, but at least I think I read two books. It's been a long time ago. I didn't read much. I, I read the first book all the way through. I'm not sure if I read the second book all the way through because I kept having nightmares. It's kind of like when I tried to... Um, I read Silence of the Lambs but could not read Hannibal. Mm-hmm. It got so dark so fast. Mm-hmm. I, uh, oh. Well, Hannibal, um, it's just a, it's it's a different um um Silence of the Lambs is is more uh it's like a suspense story. Mhm. Um Hannibal is so such an intimate look at sort of the if I'm remembering the books correctly because I I've read the whole series but uh it's the in the, the workings of a serial killer that it's just really uncomfortable it's deeply uncomfortable I've um I read Red Dragon I believe was that what it was what it was called I think so um, I read Silence of the Lambs, and I could not read Hannibal. Um, I've watched all the movies. My favorite movie out of all of them is actually Hannibal Rising. It's set in Hannibal's youth when you figure when you learn how Hannibal came to be the you know what he is, and um, it's fascinating. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, Red Dragon, then the Silence of the Lambs, then Hannibal, then Hannibal Rising. I have not read the book Hannibal Rising. I, I'm um, the, the movie itself was explicitly gross, so I'm not sure I would want to read the book because there are parts of the book that made me the movie that made me gag. I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna t- tell you why because I, I don't want to put cannibalism warning on my um radio show. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to go there. <laughs> I think that really when you speak about Hannibal and and the books and the movies that that's kind of a given, but um. So no, just don't go to explicit. We won't get specific, you know. Yeah, specifics, but it's bad. It is really bad. By the end of Hannibal Rising, you don't even really blame him for what he is. I mean, you don't appreciate it or forgive him for his actions, but you understand exactly where he came from, and there is no ambiguity about it. I mean, his path to adulthood is so clear. And but I that's all we're gonna say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like we understand put, but I wanna have but, to change the title of this to Rough Trade November and Serial Killers. <laughs> how the hell? <laughs> Dark and uncomfortable characters. <laughs> What's really interesting about the Harry Potter verse when it when it comes to dark actions and dark people is that they're very forgiving, aren't they? I mean, Lucius is walking around free. At the end of Deathly Hallows, in the epilogue, we see Draco Malfoy in the train station. And we know he's a marked Death Eater. And we know his parents were Death Eaters, even though in the end they 
when Voldemort was going to lose. <laughs> they proved to be very Slytherin. But also, it speaks more to their family loyalty to each other. Because Narcissa did not save Harry Potter for Harry Potter. She saved Harry Potter for Draco. Mm-hmm. And so, but again, these are not, I mean, and here's Draco in the train station with his kid like like nothing ever happened. Nodding at Harry, like, hey there, bud. Hey, dude. <laughs> it's just... Sup. Sup, dude. Sup. What? Really? Is that really how that goes? I mean, it's just Wizarding, so... Wizarding Britain has to be one of the most corrupt governments ever portrayed in a movie. It's just... And they don't do it like, you know, obviously, like, sit there and spell out all their corruption, but it's just one thing after the other after the other that they do wrong, and it's kind of... But this is the kicker. Kingsley Shacklebolt becomes the um, Minister for Magic. And still, these Death Eaters are running around free. I'm just saying that Magical Britain is very forgiving. Or very, very corrupt. And gullible. Which I'm counting on. <laughs> and profoundly naive. Profoundly naive. Because, you know, here's the thing. If I'd been, if I was actually a character in Harry Potter during the, the Blood War, if I had an enemy, I would just go kill them and cast the Dark Mark. They never would have thought anything else but Death Eater. <laughs> That's a free fucking pass. The Dark Mark is a free pass. So as soon as you said that, you started off with, if I had been somebody during the the war, you would have, and I was thinking, I would have moved to America. (laughs) And you went to, I would have killed my enemies (laughs) and blamed Voldemort. (laughs) That's the difference between you and me. My husband says, ask me, what would you do if you had a superpower? And I said, I can't be trusted with a superpower. I am not that person you could trust with a superpower because, number one, I I rate pretty high on the sociopath scale. I'm not actually a sociopath, but um, on the spectrum, I am on the spectrum. But more importantly, um, I have a list of people who need killing. I mean that. I wouldn't do it because I don't want to go to jail. Is really it punishment? It's it's the why. It's the why is the critical thing there. I wouldn't do it because I don't want to go to jail. jail. (laughs) I honestly, I honestly don't think I'm all that rare. I think a lot of people are living because other people don't want to go to jail. Right. There's a fucked up assholes on this planet who need it. There's a comedian who asked, if you had the power, like, if you had the power to blink and blow up someone's head, wouldn't you use it? And, like, everybody's nodding. Yeah, we would. <laughs> Clearly yeah. nobody can be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, superheroes couldn't possibly exist. They are, an ulti- they are the, the, the ultimate fantasy because nobody can be trusted with a superpower. Absolutely no one. Because if... You ask 
anybody, anybody, do you hate someone? Do you want that? If you could get away with it, would you take it? Even if it's not murder, even if it's just manipulation or stealing or um, just what it, nobody is, nobody, no, no human being is pure enough of heart to be granted a superpower. Not even Mother Teresa or the Pope, because what you think is good wouldn't be good for everyone. So even if you approach something with the most intensely awesome intentions, there is one person out there who would be hurt by your intentions. No, I'm made of wind. I could <laughs> I would make it perfect for everybody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which is why Superman was from Krypton. That is exactly right. <laughs> Wasn't Superman. <laughs> But no, I can't mess with superpower. Um, but if I have one, I want to be have the ability to become invisible. And then you have to ask that question: If you were suddenly granted a superpower, what is the one crime you would not be able to not commit? Not if commit. Sun- right. If I mean, which one would you absolutely have to run right out and do? Exactly. I, well, you know, I'm very mercenary. So <laughs> I, I I put my own comfort and future happiness way above killing people. So, so Julie would go out and rob a bank. Yep. Because <laughs> I would too. I totally would. <laughs> I would totally rob a bank. I mean, not literally right now if you're listening FBI, but if I was granted invisibility, that yeah, I would totally steal money. I'm I'm, I'm not even kidding. I I wouldn't even feel bad about it. I it's just like it's the first thing that pops into your head, right? I'd go rob a bank. It's like in um in Groundhog Day, you know, when he robs the bank. I was perfectly okay with that. Like, yeah, go ahead, dude. <laughs> You're suffering. Well, he enough. worked hard for that bank robbing stuff, though. You know, <laughs> <laughs> how many times did he have to get caught stealing that money before he got it right? I know, right? <sighs> but yeah, I mean, so yeah, if you were granted invisibility, I honestly could not name one single person who wouldn't commit a robbery, whether it was a bank or drug dealers or <laughs> whoever. People are assholes, and I'm no different, and I would totally, yeah, you know. I told my mom asked me that question. She said, which superpower would you want? And I asked her, this was like, I don't know, a year ago or so, maybe longer, and I said I would. I My first thought was telepathy. And she said, do you really want to know what people are thinking? And I went, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I said, do you really think that I could think less of people than I already do? And she <laughs> said, yes. And I went, maybe that's not such a good idea. This says a lot about Azure. She says she would want mind control. I'll get other people to do it for me. <laughs> she, her favorite Harry Potter curse, she'd, she'd be casting the Imperius right, left, and center. <laughs> Imperio, Imperio. <laughs> but see, you know, that's what she is. So if anybody ever comes up to you and asks you for a superpower, ask to be magical. 
Because then you can do all these things with magic. I want to be magic. I want to be magical like Harry Potter. <laughs> be specific. <laughs> I want to have magical powers like Harry Potter. <clears throat> I don't know if I want telepathy or... um. Uh, but I wouldn't mind being invisible when I want to be. Um, let's see. Uh, I could spy on people and blackmail them. See, see, I'm terrible. <laughs> 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 fucking terrible. Just fucking terrible. Um, all your secrets. Yeah. I'm writing a. I'm writing working on a. Um, one of my projects is um a thing where there's some genetic thing that goes on and it activates parts of people, some people's brains that turn on psychic gifts. And I started it and then I kind of had to sit back and go, because I thought I had worked it out, and then I had to sit back and go, what are the ramifications of this? And the more I thought about them, went, well, that's a big ramification, and that's a big ramification, and I'm like, this is getting really, really complicated. <laughs> and it is, because can you imagine if people were really running around and could read people's minds or were real empaths? I mean, we, we kind of have it in um, uh, the whole sentinel trope. We have empaths running around as if it's not a big deal. Um, when we do the sense of the sentinels are known stuff, but really that is a big deal. Oh, it if is. You were, if you really had people who could read your emotions or who could manipulate your emotions or who could, I mean, I've written some things into some of the sentinel stories that, if that were possible, the government would be all over that shit. In Sentinels of Atlantis, it gets touched on because um, Miko is afraid of her own government because sentinels and guys are property in Japan, um, their government property. And um, that there are people on Atlantis who are deeply uncomfortable that the chief medical officer for the entire expedition is an empath. It makes them very uncomfortable. Um, and they have all these misconceptions about what a god can do and all that stuff. Because, you know, the thing is, is that people are very distrustful of other people. So if you have somebody who literally genuinely has telepathy in your presence, it would be deeply unnerving. And it could also inspire violence. Because mm-hmm. the only privacy you really have, the only privacy you have, is in your own head. That is the only privacy you are guaranteed. And what happens when that is breached? It gets ugly. It gets real ugly because people don't even need an excuse to be ugly anyway. And then that's like the ultimate violation. I mean, your your head is your... It's just, it's really... And you know, honestly, if I did wake up with telepathy tomorrow, I would tell no one. Not even my husband. Because it's just something no. you can tell anybody. No one must ever know you have telepathy. So if you get it one day, people, and you're listening to me, tell no one. But do what your boss for a promotion. <laughs> it was actually why I was because I was working on the whole idea of the yeah, plotting on that story. Fiction. It's fan fiction. 
Um, I was thinking about doing it as original, but I thought that it, it's just such complicated world building that I didn't think I could get that off the ground. Oh, and you know, don't let that slow you down because look at Lucy. Look at Lucy? The the movie Lucy. Have you, have you ever seen it? Don't oh, world Lucy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But so I was working on the whole notion of this, and I, th- I think because I was working on the whole notion of consequences and stuff like that, that I was, it was in July when I was working on some of the plotting, and I decided in one of my stories to throw in that certain kinds of guides can't, be, can't work in, in, in law enforcement. Because I went, well, if you've got these kind of gifts, the courts are going to say that you can't... Um, that the, the the courts are going to say that you can't because you could compel the truth if you have like those kind of if you're a certain kind of guide and you can compel the truth from somebody that you can't be involved in questioning suspects in any way shape or form and therefore you can't work with the police and so I just like oh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that into one of these stories and I was like why did I have to go and interject reality. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing is, and this is actually some really jaded shit coming out of my brain, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. If that was possible and there are people who could actually compel the truth, they would create a whole class of laws that would guarantee them the right to activate, I mean, to, to participate in criminal investigations. They right. would and change what, the law. That's my, um, my, uh, I, my, the notion in that story is that, and it doesn't come up in that story, but that if somebody is gets far enough through the process or with a court order, that it can ha- be done in a certain way. So, But it can't just be done in the course of general investigation. It's like you just can't go up to a random person on the street because of their civil rights and say, tell me the truth, have you ever done anything bad? But that if a judge signs off on it, you could question somebody. But the, there have to be special laws around it. Have so. you um, watched or read the mon- the, mon- the Minority Report? I have. I read it a long time ago, and I saw the movie. And um, the whole pre-crime idea really creeps me out. Yeah. And it probably is part of how, part of where the whole idea came from about uh, where it, where some of the conflict came from about the idea of civil liberties versus um, civil liberties versus the government saying, "Hey, we've got a tool. We're going to use it. We're going to use the fuck out of this tool." For those of you who have not seen or read the Minority Report, it's a Tom Cruise movie. And I'm not sure what the book who um who wrote the book. It, it was a book, wasn't it? I believe, I I believe it so. Was a book. Um, it is a story about a. Uh, a trio it's, of individuals who have precognition, and the government yeah, it's a short uses story them. from the fifties by Philip K. Dick. Okay, Philip, <laughs> great name, great name, Dick. Excellent job on not changing that, because there's no way that fucking hell that's your pen name. Um, <laughs> um, and they use these three individuals who have precognitive abilities to seek out crimes that have not taken place yet, and then they are arrested and put in jail for crimes they did not have the opportunity to commit. But we're going to. So you can be jailed for a crime you were going to commit, which is just bent. 
So instead of like intervening and resolving this situation um, and getting help for this person who was going to commit murder, um, they put them in jail. And it's called The Minority Report, and it was a Tom Cruise movie. Um, and But if you can't stomach that, I would look up the short story online. I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sure it's somewhere. The film is old, but 13 years old. It's from 2002. But actually, despite the fact that it has Tom Cruise in it, I enjoyed the movie. It's you a good movie. Kind of, you just kind of have to go, it's not Tom Cruise, it's not Tom Cruise, it's not Tom Cruise. If it's just, a, just, just ignore Cruise in it. Caprice yeah. says there is a new series for the Minority Report. It's set after the movie about 10 years. So if those of you who are interested in that, apparently it's going to be a TV show. But one of the things I, in, in the, what I'm working with, I decided not to deal with precognition because I decided that's a can of worms that I didn't want to uh, open up <laughs> at all. But I was surprised at the number of psychic gifts you can unlock. Um, there are out there, you know. Um, yeah, I researched that when I was doing my um, Tangled Destinies because there's that whole thing with um, Jim going through the uh, the Betazoid training and all the things that um can be attributed to mental power. It's really interesting. It premiered last week. <laughs> so you can look up Minority Report online. Maybe it's on one of the networks. because um, it premiered last week. <clears throat> Probably get it on demand. I did not re- I think actually I think Cinna mentioned that to me that it was because uh, doesn't it star um Dark Sands? And yes, it does. Contigi says there was a very clever Twilight Zone about a telepath who heard a bank employee who plotted to rob a bank and reported it, and it turned out to be an intellectual exercise. Which reminds me, in high school, me and a friend of mine um, had an intellectual um, exercise that we unfortunately wrote down, and we ended up in the principal's office having having to explain that we weren't actually planning to murder her neighbor. We just (laughs) planned it. As an exercise, we're writers. This is what we do, <laughs> and it was. I mean, it, it literally was a writing exercise. And um, I, I'm about to tell you why none of you should watch Minority Report. <laughs> it's a science fiction series, folks. And guess what network it's on? It's on Fox. Mm-hmm. Don't don't even bother. You can't trust Fox for the sci-fi show. They'll fucking cancel it. You gotta wait till it gets to the second season, folks, or otherwise you're just gonna be disappointed. <laughs> That's just sad. These days that will get you thrown. Um, these days that will get you, get you thrown in jail. Yes, actually, you can get um, thrown in jail for shit like that, at least temporarily. But um, we didn't even use names, so it wasn't like we were actually like it, it wasn't a conspiracy to murder any one individual. It was just we wrote down what we considered to be the, the perfect murder. And the principal agreed that he thought it was actually pretty close to the perfect murder. But he was deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> well, schools are weird. I got suspended once for dealing drugs because <laughs> I gave my 
Because I gave my friend a Tums. What? Yeah. And that stuck. My mom would have lost her fucking mind. I wasn't. My mother would have, but I was living with my mom at the time. But yeah, it was one of those. You know, I I went to school with an upset stomach, and I had tums with me when my friend said, "After lunch, can I have one?" The next thing I know, I've got a suspension for dealing drugs. And I was like, I wasn't, I, I wasn't dealing drugs. You know, it was dealing implies you made her pay for it. <laughs> I was like, you know, look, that bitch owes you money. You should call her up. She had an upset stomach and she gave me her pudding. What the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) That bitch owes you money. You should call her and say, bitch, where's my money? You know how old I was? (laughs) How old were you? I was 11. (laughs) She's a deviant from way back. (laughs) 11-year-old drug dealer with a packet of Tums. You were fierce, that's for certain. <laughs> I was like, I lived in, live in a really tiny little southern town at the time. I'm like, you guys got nothing to do. You were pushing drugs, not selling them. That's what Capricia <laughs> says in the chat room. Which is true. I wasn't if, even if pushing was, them. I was, if, I was responding to a request. <laughs> if there was no money exchange, you were not dealing. I would sue them. <laughs> That went on your permanent record. <laughs> Man, there was a time in my youth when my permanent record was serious business. I remember being in um, the sixth or seventh grade, and this boy popped my bra strap, and I punched him and um, in the stomach, and uh, he threw up, and we both ended up in the um, <laughs> in the principal's office, and. Um, but I was the only one to get in trouble, or they thought they were going to get me in trouble. And um, he said that I was going to have an um, in-house suspension for fighting. And I said, is, is that going to be on my permanent record? And he said, yes. I said, well, then I need a lawyer. <laughs> I was dead serious. <laughs> I said, I've got plans. I'm going to college. And you're not putting that on my permanent record for me defending myself. I said, I've got bruises on my back where he's popped my bra, so I need a lawyer. And I got sent back to my class, and um, I didn't get anything put on my permanent record. (laughs) I was was fucking serious. (laughs) I was that you're like, when when I'm a grown-up, I'd have dick-punched him, so. (laughs) Oh. I can't imagine what I would do to somebody who popped my bra at this stage in my life. I would punt a motherfucker for get punching. I wear pointy shoes these days. I wear those little pointy boots. I would shove those right up into your ball sack. Try me. You're going to have some ruptured testicles, buddy. (laughs) Your balls will crawl up into your stomach and stay there. But yeah, my permanent record was serious business. <laughs> Don't mess with that shit. <laughs> she says I almost killed a guy in home act, but in my defense, it was mostly accidental. I can totally see how that happened. You haven't even explained it to me, and I already believe you that it was mostly accidental. Mostly. 
a little bit I here and there. I believe the mostly part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the part that I most believe is the mostly. Was well, that's what you get for using an open can of Crisco? For those of you on the podcast, she says, "Who knew it would? Ha- if you took a ten-pound can of Crisco and pounded it over his head, that it would get stuck." <laughs> on the upside, his hair was shiny for weeks. I bet it was. You crazy ass woman. Oh, but Ugh. yeah. Um, I don't know if there are any more questions about rough trade or time fucking time travel or 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 anything like that. Just dudes, whatever you come up with, we came up we came up with if all the questions. I think we came up with one variation that wouldn't be time travel, which was if somebody is reincarnated immediately and remembers. Yeah, because I don't think that there's no part. gap in time. And also, if they're reincarnated immediately, are they dropped into a new body, or are they in a baby? Because if they're in a baby, I don't think that's actually all that entertaining. <laughs> no judging. I'm, I'm not judging your story idea. I'm just saying that I probably wouldn't find that very entertaining. No. Maybe you surprise me. I don't know. But um, the uh, I basically, if if. If there's any movement in time, it's time travel. So whatever you're thinking, yes. <laughs> because if you ask, you might start to get an arbitrary no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I've answered that question 5,000 times in the past two months, and you're getting a no. Just No. No. I don't think so. I choose not to allow it. So we covered we covered POV. We covered time travel. Uh dates. Sign up between the first and the fifteenth. Project files are gonna be due fifteenth to the twenty fifth or something like that? Yeah, something like that. I'll put it on the sign-up thing so you guys will know when that's going to be done. You'll need an image for um, your featured image. I don't care what it is. It can be a picture of an actor. I really honestly don't give a shit, but you must have something. Because it will show up in the slideshow, and if there's no picture, it will look stupid next to all the other ones, and it'll make me unhappy. And you don't want to make me unhappy. And also, if you don't use a featured image and I catch you, I will put a picture of a jackass on your story. I have one already saved on the site for that purpose. And it says lazy ass author across it. And I have used it in the past and I will use it in the future. And absolutely no one is safe from it. I used it on Lady Holder once. For those of you who who uh, rely on Marley to do your help with your images, she has said that she is taking requests, and she's devoting time. I believe this says the first couple weeks of October to doing the banner. So, be courteous of her time and get your requests in. 
and make them as specific as possible. Give her all the information that she requires, whether you think she she needs it or not. She asked for it. She's doing you a favor. Give her the fucking information she asked for. She has said on her Facebook post what uh, information she requires, so please give it to her. <laughs> we covered serial killers. Yeah, we did that too. We covered serial killers and Dexter and Hannibal. A regal no. It will definitely no. Period. My, I might get the demon baby out. No. I don't know. I'll tell you. I think time travel to the future is um, really uninteresting um, and superpowers. Uh, uh, my least favorite movie of the Back to the Future series is the one set in the future. Well, yeah, except for the getting the sports almanac and bringing it back. And, I mean, this is the mercenary thing coming back again because I'd be on that shit. I know, right? <laughs> I would be I would be making money on sporting events from now for the next 50 years, damn it. They'll call you the luckiest woman on earth. <laughs> the FBI would investigate you. The CIA would think you were telepathy. <laughs> Put a thousand dollar bet on the Super Bowl. Call exactly what teams are going to win and exactly the score. What are the odds at the very beginning of the season? What are the fucking odds of that? <laughs> ah, you would need security guard just for your house. <laughs> <laughs> People be breaking in trying to figure out what your secret is. Lottery numbers, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't mind a truly eidetic memory. As a I would. I would. Um, and it's mostly because uh, the brain protects you. It protects your emotional health in ways that you don't even really recognize. And if you remember everything... Your brain can't protect you. It can't dim painful experiences. It can't push bad memories down so they aren't so vivid and so terrible. But if if your brain remembers everything, you have no defense from the really bad shit in your own head. Well, that's true. My and, stepdad you know, has an eidetic memory. I've never asked him what that's like for him. Um, and the human experience is so fucked up. Now, I've got yeah. a friend who has perfect recall on um, anything she reads. She has perfect recall. Um, here, you, know, you can tell her something and it'll go in one ear and out the other. But if you write it down, she will never forget it. It's very weird. My mom has a really interesting memory quirk. She remembers everything she writes down. So she's one of those people who really had to take notes in college. Yeah, she would, I mean, it's not like perfect recall where she remembers exactly what she wrote. But if she wrote down the Constitution was signed on this date, then she would always know when the Constitution was signed by various people, depending on what she wrote down. 
So if she writes on your phone number, she'll remember it for the rest of her life. It's very weird. Wow. And I didn't get it. I I, I didn't get this awesome, interesting gift from my mother because it would have made um, high school and college much, much more um, easy. I used to have exceptional recall, uh, and it was a lot. There was a lot visual component to it, so there was. I was really good with things I had read or written down. But like I could remember the way people had moved and the way they had touched like their hair, or I could remember where everybody's positions were in a restaurant or something, and it was very odd. I had a very good visual recall. So I used to say that I had a mind like a steel trap, but then about I don't know two or three years ago, it became more like a sieve. <laughs> it got rusty. Everything just started leaking out. <laughs> Trap got really rusty. Um, I think it's hormones. I think when I was younger, I had a much better memory than I do now. And I think it's hormone hormone fluctuations because when I was like, before my period, I had very good recall. I had a very good memory. But when menstruation started and all these hormones started flooding into my brain and everything started changing, I lost that. And when um, I'm cycling, although my I'm sure my male reader, listeners do not want to hear this, I get more forgetful the closer my period is. So I I know it's connected. I mean, it's just like memory. My hormones just fuck up my just everything. I go out of the kitchen, have an empty glass in my hand, and not not know why I'm down there. It's actually a better indication of when I'm going to start than anything else. <laughs> It's just, oh, my period's coming. <laughs> when I was in my, was I think I think in my, my early 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 twenties into my thirties, I had PMDD, and um, I see I see an endocrinologist, and she says, well, usually this is caused by either you know too little progesterone or too little estrogen. She said it's usually too little estrogen, so the easy thing to do is just to try to supplement some estrogen for you. And it wasn't a great endocrinologist because this is a little bit slapdash. <laughs> but I didn't know any better, so I let her give me estrogen. Mm. And it uh, turns out estrogen was not my problem. <laughs> so Whoops. effectively I got an overdose of estrogen. <laughs> I was a walking basket case. It was terrible. I couldn't think. All I could do was emote. <laughs> Everything. Everything. The most common expression around me was, "What the hell is wrong with you?" I'd be like, "I don't know." <laughs> I have PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Um, I get extremely fucking hostile. I actually have um an overabundance of testosterone because I have PCOS as well. Mm. Um. And um, I, I have that kind of PMS that if you killed somebody during the right part of your cycle, you might get away with it. Cause it's like a psychotic break. But I'm medicated. <laughs> I'm revealing all good. kinds of shit tonight on the show. You've got drugs. <laughs> I'm on the sociopath scale, really low. I'm medicated. <laughs> I think really most of it really is just you know. You know, even when you're right, when, when when everything is normal, your hormones just really fuck you up. They do. I've never let anybody near me with an estrogen patch ever again. Because <laughs> that was some evil shit. I used and to have I may um, need it, but I'm very suspicious now. 
I used to take the shot, the the birth control shot. It made me evil. It made me like straight up join Magneto evil. More like join Voldemort <laughs> evil, actually. <laughs> it's really messed me up. I was like, oh. <laughs> better listen. Somebody says better living through chemistry. Uh, <laughs> For everybody well, else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being premenopausal, it, it just really. It just, it just it just fucks your whole life up. <laughs> First you're hot, then you're cold. Everybody's annoying and too stupid to live, and you know, and it's just. Then you're crying in the grocery store because <laughs> they don't have the version of mini wheats that you want. <laughs> oh God! For me, it so, was tea. I usually make my own tea, but sometimes I was like, you know, I just like, I can't deal with making tea. I'm going to go buy tea, and they didn't have the tea that I wanted, and I started crying. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's terrible. (laughs) The worst thing, the stupidest thing I ever cried over is that I went to Dunkin' Donuts, and I wanted um, some powdered donuts, and they didn't have any, and... And, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, they, they, they bake their own donuts, so, I ha- so they said I could come back in two hours and they would have some baked. And I just... How could they not have powdered donuts? They were all covered in shit. There was chocolate and cinnamon. They didn't have any pow- donuts to powder. It was just... I hit the right moment, and tears just streamed down my face, and the girl was like, oh, my God. I was like, it's not you. It's me. I'm like, I'll come back. <laughs> I have hormones. Don't look at me that way. <laughs> this is not helping my cause because I'm all the time getting really pissed off if um a man insinuates that my hormones is the reason that I'm having that I'm angry with them. And I just sit here and explain how hormonal I am all the fucking time. But it isn't the same. No. And sometimes I am legitimately angry with somebody because they're a fucking asshole. Me being angry with you is not the same thing as me crying over mini weeds. So shut up. <laughs> you really being a dick. Not. You being a dick is not the same thing as Dunkin' Donuts being out of powdered sugar. So <laughs> stop it. It really is totally two separate fucking things. We're down to a minute. Um, if you uh, don't understand what point of view means at this point, I would really, really. Like it if you would take your ass over to Amazon and buy a book on it. <laughs> I mean that. Buy a book. There are some there are some great websites that explain point of view. That's, start with Google, too, if you don't want to buy a book. We'll put up a list, maybe. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll probably see you. Um, you'll see me on Sunday. Remember, Bye. no ass to mouth. It's important. No ass to mouth. Shut up and sit down.